Welcome back, everyone, to episode number 13 of Hot Takes Only, presented by the Hot Takes Network. After a week off last week, we are excited to be back with you. We are talking all things basketball today. We are deep into the conference finals. I'm pleased to be joined today by Mac Turchin, HTN's own. Mac, uh, tough loss for the Raptors last night. We are recording right after game two of Golden State Portland. A difficult one for the Raptors last night as they fall 108-100 to the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, man. I think even uh, after what we just witnessed, Game 2, it looks like this Golden State buzzsaw isn't coming to an end. So it may all be for naught anyway, but we shall see. We still have stuff to talk about. So we are hoping to get to both conference final series today. And then we actually had a, a request for an additional conversation that will come later. We're diving into the golf world a bit. But for now, we're talking basketball. As I said before, the Raptors lose a heartbreaker last night. Eight-point loss. That really was not an eight-point game. The Raptors uh, led or were close throughout. Uh, they had opportunities to win, and it wasn't until late until uh, Milwaukee ended up pulling away and, and taking game one, a game that the Raptors, I feel, really should have won and, and had all the opportunities to do so, just could not get it done under pressure. Uh, the shot making was bad, unless your name was uh, Kyle Lowry, who had, I think, maybe the greatest game of his career, arguably. It was one of those nights where the bucket looked like an, or the bucket looked like an absolute ocean last night and he was just tossing beach balls into it. Uh, it was incredible to watch Kyle Lowry perform in a game one when he has historically not performed all that well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great to see, but I think also a bit concerning because I think, you know, if you're the Raptors, you can't get any more out of Kyle Lowry than you got last night. And given his inconsistencies in the playoffs, I'm wondering, you know, if the points he scored uh, last night – is that is that going to be the the amount of points he scores over the next three games combined? Like, who the heck knows? So, you know, it's it's tough when you know you've been really struggling for that secondary scoring beyond Kawhi. You finally get it. You lead most of the game, and then you still find some way to blow it. It's just uh, it, it was a, it was a tough one to take. Tough one to take. Kyle Lowry last night. 10 for 15 from the field, 7 for 9 from three-point range. So just an, an incredible evening from him shooting. Uh, the real problem came in, in the second half when uh, Kawhi and Kyle went a combined 12 for 24 from the field. Mm -hmm. All other Raptors were 1 for 23. Just insane. And then if you just look at the fourth quarter... Yeah. Just look at the fourth quarter. Kyle Lowry was the only Raptor to make a field goal in the fourth quarter. He was 5 for 7. Every other Raptor in the fourth quarter was 0 for 15. Just unacceptable in a playoff game when you have an opportunity to put the nail in the coffin, win an important game in game one, and these so-called veterans who are, mm. who are supposed to be leading you in the playoffs come up mm. short and just can't get it done. Yeah, and I think there's been so many moments in this playoffs already where you just lament the shooting at times and you know it's always been oh we've had so many really really good looks and people just aren't canning them and throughout that Philadelphia series I think it felt like game after game after game you know we kept lamenting this but 
that just made might be peak of it all there last night. Oh, 15 from everyone not named Kyle Lowry and like throwing in Kawhi into that mix. You know, you need the guy to show up like, you know, all credit for everything he's done. But, you know, Giannis, you know, he had a great game. He helped pace them last night. And I feel like, you know, Kawhi, he had he had the numbers, but it definitely wasn't his most effective game. For sure. Kawhi Leonard, uh, 31 points, nine boards, two assists, three steals. So definitely a uh, a game that I think most NBA players would take on a night in and night out basis. But he started really well. He actually wasn't overly efficient like we've seen throughout these playoffs, but the, uh, the points are points. Uh, Giannis was an interesting one last night. Everyone uh, sort of at this point, I think, has recognized that Giannis is, is the MVP of the league this year. Uh, sort of a, a relatively quiet night by his standards last night. 24 points. He did pull down 14 boards, six assists, two steals, and three blocks. Uh, crazy to think that that's a quiet night for someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I actually thought the Raptors did a really good job of, of containing him and forcing other people on the Bucks to uh, beat them. Uh, unfortunately, Brooke Lopez did decide to beat the Toronto Raptors last night. Brooke Lopez... Uh, an incredible 29 points, 11 boards. Uh, he shot four of 11 from three-point range, which actually it seems like he made a lot more than that. Absolutely. But, um, it seemed like he just couldn't miss. It was uh, It was definitely, you know, even as a Raptors fan, it was kind of impressive to watch Brooke operate. Like he, he is a great example of what the league is transitioning into from their big men, the the prototypical big guy who is now not afraid to to shoot three pointers even even in the face of some adversity, and I think that that sort of led from what uh, the Raptors were trying to do with Giannis in the sense that they recognized that uh, Siakam, great defender, was not going to be able to handle Giannis one on one in the paint, so sort mm-hmm. of had Marcus All help on him, uh, mm-hmm. try to trap him, and ultimately that left Brooke Lopez open. Uh, and so, so part of my issue with, with what happened was I, I don't mind around the basket, you know, it, it, you sort of need to put out fires around the basket. And, uh, if you trap inside and, and force the ball outside for a three mm-hmm. and Brooke nails one, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. My issue is when the Raptors get Giannis sort of on the sideline and then decide to trap two there with Gasol and uh, Siakam. Mm-hmm. Because Giannis is just so long and, and so athletic that there's absolutely no way you're going to force a turnover. He's going to get that ball out to someone. We saw it multiple times last night where he was able to reach around Gasol or reach out, yes. Siak- reach around Siakam, which is kind of crazy considering how long and, and, or, and athletic Siakam is and, and generally how big Gasol is. Yep. But that's the kind of player that Giannis is. So I, I didn't actually like the trap super high against Giannis. I like the trap down low, force the ball outside. If Brooke Lopez makes a three, you know, I, I, I think even with the, the crazy game he had, the expected value of a Brooke Lopez three is significantly lower than if we're letting Giannis get in the paint against Siakam. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more with that. I think if you're going to force anyone to beat you, I think it would have to be Brooke Lopez. Like that's, got to be an anomaly if you're the Raptors you got to pray that's an anomaly but I think that point with the with the passing from Giannis is pretty key and that's where I kind of give him the edge over Kawhi last night if you look at them head to head 
I think the Bucks were able to trap Kawhi quite similarly and not let him get deep into that paint. And, uh, you know, when they send Kawhi doubles his way, I feel that, you know, he's not quick enough with his decision-making. You know, sometimes he's just able to beat it, which, you know, he's an MVP-level player. That's what he can do. But, you know, more times than not last night, you know, they were able to trap him pretty effectively. And he wasn't able to make that quick decision. He's not as long as Giannis to just be able to reach up or around guys to, to get it out there. So he needs to be quicker with his decisions to pass out and keep that ball moving. I think if you're a Raptors fan, you, you sort of look at the series and, and uh, you look at Kawhi. Kawhi, as you just said, MVP-level player. So is Giannis. Giannis is going to be the MVP yep. this year. I don't care what anyone says. It's going to be him. Uh, so I look at those two as a wash. Mm-hmm. And that's what, they, that's what they kind of were in game one. Uh, neither was sort of at their peak. Uh, Giannis, as you said, did a little more passing, uh, but the points, you know, Kawhi had the had the advantage. Yep. A um, couple more boards for Giannis, but generally it was a wash. And I think throughout the series, yeah. uh, you can sort of, if it goes a lengthy uh, lengthy amount of games, then I, I think those two are generally going to be be a wash throughout the series. Kyle Lowry probably is not going to have the crazy night that he had every night. But then again, that's offset by the fact that Brooke Lopez is not going to go bananas every night. Mm. I think what what has Raptors fans sort of excited, and I, I think we can take a little bit of uh, momentum from this game, I don't think there's a scenario where uh, the supporting cast is as bad as they were. And, and I think if they uh, can even figure it out, you know, a, a little bit, then I think, uh, I mean, let, let's be honest, they're not going to go 0 for 15 in the fourth quarter. However, again. however... You know, it, it all kind of averages out, and the supporting cast, in terms of shooting, has been very poor throughout this postseason. Let's just like cancel out Orlando and say from Philly onwards to this point, uh, it's been pretty poor the shooting. You know, and credit to the defenses of both teams. But we started off last night on fire. Don't forget, we started about as well as you could possibly imagine through that first quarter, quarter and a half. So that's probably the best we shot the ball. And then we had the worst that we shot the ball. So averaging it out, you know, it's still really not that great a shooting night. I think we shot below 40%. So I think you say that maybe the supporting cast can't be that bad, but they've shown that, you know, maybe they won't shoot over 15 and a quarter, but I wouldn't just quickly say that that's not going to happen continuing forward because they have a great defense. You know, it's uh, it's very true. Uh, they do have a good defense. I think when I what I sort of mean is, you know, the game ended up eight points difference. You're going to get more than eight points on an average game even if they're a little below average from the supporting cast, you're going to be able to make up those eight points in the second half. They're not going to, they're not going to make one field goal uh, in, in the second half of the game uh, where there, where there might be a problem is you look at Milwaukee and you see guys like Chris Middleton, who also did not have a great game. Yes. Uh, one for six from three point range, Chris Middleton, uh, four for 12 in total, not a game. Yeah. If I could just speak to that for a sec, 
that's where I was, I was about to go. You know, we're talking about Giannis and um, Kawhi being a scratch. And we're talking about how Kyle Lowry's game at Brook Lopez can kind of be a scratch as well. We'll likely not see that again. And I think the big matchup comes down to these number two guys. Who's going to perform better? Because, you know, they're not. I mean, I guess you could say Middleton was a fringe all-star this year. You could say Siakam, I guess, could be a fringe all-star as well. So they're not they're not going to give you these outstanding numbers every night. Like, there's some inconsistencies to it. And I think whoever is able to bounce back and regain their confidence after that game one is going to be pretty key moving forward because we've seen them both have huge impacts and just sway the games one way or another for their teams. And I think that's going to be the one matchup looking moving forward here. Uh, Chris Middleton, as we said, one for six from three. Eric Bledsoe, 0 for six from three. So a bad night from him that you expect to be at least a little better. Uh, Nikolai Miritich, one for six from three. But the comment I want to make about Miritich, and, and this is something the Raptors uh, need, need to do better, and especially the supporting cast, uh, Miritich had the 0 for from the mm-hmm. three-point range throughout the game, steps up deep, mm-hmm. and hits an absolute dagger. Yep. No fear, steps right into the shot, yep. confident, bottom of the bucket, makes the uh, one three-pointer that he makes in the game after not really having a strong shooting game, yep. uh, three for nine in the game, and, and as I said, he finished one for six from three. Uh, and another interesting uh, note that I took from the game, uh, Malcolm Brogdon looks to be back, looks to be healthy. I thought he had a really solid game yesterday, 15 points coming off the bench. He actually played more minutes than Miritich did. And by the uh, by the end of the game, and, and he shot the ball well, uh, five for nine from the field, uh, 50% from three, making three of them. Uh, so he could be a problem uh, if he continues to come off the bench. Uh, well, I, I think you could even see him starting and being a big problem. And, and, and I, I, see, I think you could maybe see Bledsoe coming off the bench or something like that. Which, again, is a problem, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, either way it's a problem, and that's, that's, that's that sort of depth where, you know, it's another level – that perhaps the Toronto bench, you know, maybe they could have they, they reached it in the in the regular season, you could argue, but they certainly haven't been reaching it in these playoffs, and uh, that's a big, big, big advantage for uh, Milwaukee. Uh, so one of the things that that he commented on earlier was the Milwaukee defense, and and you and I were talking about uh, we just finished watching the Golden State uh, Blazers game two, uh, Golden State won by three points in the end, very very tight, the Blazers. Uh, blew a, a, a halftime lead of 15 points. It was 17 early on in the, uh, the third quarter. Uh, so we, we were talking about whether or not Milwaukee would actually be able to beat Golden State. And, and you were, uh, you, you thought that they, you know, had a chance, stood a fighting chance. After watching game one, and this is something I think the Raptors need to do better, I'm not actually convinced that a series between Golden State and Milwaukee will actually be very close at all. Just because having watched Milwaukee uh, now very, very closely for one game, mm-hmm. uh, especially against the Raptors, their whole defensive structure mm-hmm. is is all about guarding the paint. And, and so, that, that, so that's what that's their bread and butter. And that's why I think Kyle Lowry was able to have such a, a strong game because he, he was getting relatively good looks. There were some contested looks he made. But yeah. essentially, Milwaukee's defense starts from the middle and spreads outwards as they need to. And they sort of look panicked trying to cover the three-point line. 
which against a team like Golden State, that that's going to be your death right there. Yeah, I, I think that's that's kind of been their Achilles heel throughout the season for Milwaukee defending the three ball. But I think it's it's a pretty decent strategy given how we've shot the ball for them to continue to play that way against us, like for now. But I think they could maybe try to change things against Golden State, but uh, right now with the way we've been shooting it, I think, you know, that's 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 the that's the right strategy. Like I was really impressed with the fact that, you know, Kawhi and uh, Pascal weren't as easily able to get to the bucket uh, than uh, compared to, like, uh, the rounds against Philly and Orlando. They made it really tough on both those guys and made them defer outwards to the, the three-point line to some of our other guys. And besides Kyle, you know, it, it was it was an impossible task. So, honestly, credit to them for playing, you know, a I think, you know, you look at it and you see, you know, we're getting some good looks, but is that really what we want? Do we want to keep chucking it from three? It's hard. It's hard to say, man. Like, like, I we just haven't been able to prove that we've been consistently able to make these shots. So, they they seem good, like on paper, you want them, but do you really want them? It's a valid question, and, and I think, you know, again, Milwaukee's playing us, I think, the exact way they need to, protecting the middle and forcing us to make shots, which which we didn't coming down the stretch in uh, in game one. But I think that if, if you look at the stats, and you sort of talked about it before, I, I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure Milwaukee had the fourth worst three-point defense in the league this year. Mm-hmm. So this is obviously how they play defense, and whether or not against a team like Golden State, uh, who you know I'm I'm willing to call now that they're up two 0 is probably going to make the finals at this point uh, against a team like Golden State who obviously shoots a three ball probably like the greatest dynasty in NBA history whether or not you're going to be able to adapt that that defense on the fly in an NBA finals that that's quickly quickly approaching I think so I agree I th- I think it's a good strategy to beat us the Raptors mm-hmm. uh, you know. Obviously, there there's more games to play, and and again, Toronto is not out of this series at all. We, no, we showed not. that we could compete with them, and that we could. Uh, it, we're not just going to be an easy out for them. Like actually, a lot of people think we are. Uh, that we're going to compete every single game. You know, we came out guns blazing, which is sort of rare for us. It it, it seems, especially on the uh, on the road, uh, but. You know, there's a uh, there's a lot of games to play, and I I could see if it does get to a point where the Bucks do play the Warriors, I'm actually really really down on the Bucks chances. But that is probably for a, a future podcast. But just a note I wanted to make watching the uh, the Bucks defense for the first time. So let me get you clear on that. Are you higher on the Raptors chances? Is that what you're trying to say here? I am very much higher on the Raptors' chances of beating the Warriors can than you I am just, the Bucks. Can you just maybe touch on why? Uh, so I, I think that our our defense fits better uh, trying to defend Golden State. I, I think we have a very, very uh, athletic team. Not that Milwaukee doesn't, but I think we enjoy playing out on the perimeter. And I, I think that was really shown late in Game 7 of the, of the 76ers series. I think we did a lot of great trapping late outside. Obviously, before we talked about uh, it's not great against a person like Giannis, but if you can get you know as good a player as he is, if you can get a Steph Curry or a Clay Thompson trap out on the wings, I think that that's pretty good. And we saw it late in the uh, the 76ers series. I think we got 
uh, Butler out there for sure. I think we might have even got Redick out there one time late in, in game seven. Uh, so I think we like protecting the perimeter and don't have as great a, an interior defense. It's better with Gasol now, uh, but I don't think it's as good. So I think we match up better with the, uh, the Warriors. And then on the offensive end, it's probably a wash. Bucks, uh, Bucks, Raptors. I, they obviously shoot better than we do, but I think that the uh, the Warriors uh, do have a better perimeter defense. So I, I think it's probably going to end up being a wash. But I think defensively, just the fact that we defend the perimeter so much better than Milwaukee does sets up better for uh, us against Golden State. And we beat them twice this year. We know how to do it. I mean, they were a regular season games, so I am willing to write. You know, I mean, I'm willing to write them off, but it was a bit. Uh, it, it's nice to see that we were able to do it. Um, so that's my reasoning for thinking that we have a better chance than the, uh, than the bucks. Um, so now that I brought it up, yeah. we have to talk about the moment that Kawhi Leonard became the greatest basketball player that has ever lived that game seven shot. Mac, I want you to tell me what was going through your mind as you watched that ball drop. Wow. Just, like watching it, I mean, I had to think that you know we're going overtime first off, and then once it falls, just just the the ecstasy of it all. Man, it it's just like the highs and lows that this team has been through, not only in like the We the North era of the last five six years, but just overall, uh, like. As, as long as I've been following the team, I guess, you know, you could say about, about 15 years, obviously dating back much longer than that, 25 years. It's just, it's just like everything, all the highs and mostly lows that this team has gone through, it just led up to this one moment. It was just such a release for everyone involved, the players, the coaches, the management, the fans, just a moment to be able to release all the feelings that have been pent up over these mainly tough times, just like in one, you know, like, like second, one, one instance, it's just, it's, it's something like I've never seen before. Like it just, it, it, it captures so much history Although we're just looking at like the presence with with Kawhi being here for his first year and being able to make that much of an impact, it's just unreal. Like it's 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 sports at its very best, man. You know, all year I've talked about the fact that it, it almost feels like I, I I don't deserve to cheer for a player who's as good as Kawhi Leonard. No, disagree. I think so, so- I think I think Toronto Raptors fans may deserve this more than anyone so so yeah so, so what i was going to say is i i felt like you know Kawhi leonard's such a great player and after all the all the bad years we've had like i just don't i didn't throughout the year I, I didn't feel like i deserved to cheer for such a great player but uh i did deserve that moment and we as raptors fans after all the hardship we deserved those four bounces of that basketball and we deserved that ball hitting the bottom of the net that i mean Greatest moment in Raptors history, without a doubt. I think you could just say Canadian sports fans in general deserve the moment. No Stanley Cup in Canada since 93. No World Series since 93. 
no NBA championships ever. We don't even have the NFL. Most of our teams, you know, it's just agony from the NHL to the Blue Jays of current. It's just, it's just been for the majority tough times. So I think like just, just people across Canada, like all that it encompasses, I think the Raptors and the Jays like are really Canada's teams and, uh, you know, seeing how much this probably meant from coast to coast is just, you know, it's it's even more, uh, you know, kind of awe-inspiring. It was, it was magical. It was one of those moments where, you know, you'll never forget where you were, similar to the Batista bomb, Edwin's walk-off. Yeah. Uh, I know you and I are big soccer fans, so the, the Toronto FC MLS Cup victory, I, I sort of lump it in into to that category. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's the moment that I believe Kawhi Leonard finally became a Toronto Raptor. And I feel like we're at the point now where after that shot and you saw the emotion that he had and, and it was just this huge release of, of everyone involved, as you said, especially Kawhi. Masai was crying apparently uh, off to the side. I, side note, I imagine Masai the day after uh, was basically like Thanos at the end of Infinity War, just like looking out, admiring at what he had just did and just like accomplished. That's how I like to mm-hmm. imagine Masai in mm-hmm. that situation. Um, but... So, again, I, I think that that was the moment that, that Kawhi became a Raptor, and it's, and it's no longer, and I saw a great quote, and I want to bring it up here. Uh, it is now no longer Kawhi if he takes off in the summer. Mm-hmm. Kawhi is not just leaving the team that traded for him. Mm-hmm. Kawhi is now leaving the Raptors, I think. And that, and that, uh, that shot sort of brought it brought it full circle for me and now he is a Toronto Raptor and now if he leaves in the offseason uh-huh. which I don't think he will by the way but that's another topic for another podcast yeah. uh I, I think he's leaving the Raptors now if he decides to leave which is huge which is huge for us yeah I think so I think it, it, it brings up a interesting point just as just a side note just want to say that uh uh Uncle Dennis of of great infamy for his role in the proceedings with the San Antonio Spurs over the past, you know, a couple years was hugging Masai after the game. So read into that what you will. But I just want to pitch this question maybe for you. In terms of Kawhi's legacy, just in, in his career up to this point, and maybe, you know, until the point that he retires, what's bigger for his legacy, do you think? That shot? Or finals MVP? Like, what, what do you think? Like, they're two kind of different things, but equally, I think, impactful. If uh, if you ask the average NBA fan, I'm going to say in five years, mm-hmm. five years' time, uh, if you ask uh, them to name all the finals MVPs, mm-hmm. I'm honestly not sure that they would be able to name Kawhi Leonard. Mm-hmm. The average fan, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, you and I you know, know Kawhi and, and we watch a fair amount of basketball um, and, and, you know, cheer for Kawhi now. So we obviously know mm-hmm. that he's a finals MVP. Mm-hmm. Five years from now, people will still remember that shot. So uh, for me, that that is that sort of cements his his legacy as as, you know, this this clutch player who, who's who's able to get it done. Uh, if, if you haven't heard, uh, which I actually only found out later, that was the first game-winning buzzer beater in NBA Game 7 history. Yes. Which is incredible. Yeah. What, a, what a stat that is. 
Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I think that's huge for his legacy. Um, and, and, you know, I honestly think uh, in all the We the North era and, and maybe even Raptors history, obviously you and I can't really comment on the 01-76ers Raptors series, but that is by far the best basketball series. Maybe, you know, maybe not best uh, Raptors uh, series that I've ever watched. Most competitive, most Most competitive, intense. for sure. Um, I think the some of the finals uh, series between the Warriors and, and the Cavs were also pretty good. But in terms of, this might be a little recency bias, I think it's the best basketball series that, I, that I've watched. In terms of two, like, so closely matched teams that were kind of built differently, like one just around talent and top-end skill, like perhaps the best starting five in the NBA versus a bunch of old vets and kind of, I wouldn't say young guns, but... You know, new so, yeah, talent. New Un, talent. Uh, un, unproven talent yep. with lots of upside, yep. I would say. Um, yeah, so so definitely a, a great series. It was it was awesome to watch and, and one I won't soon forget and that shot. That shot is going to live in absolute infamy. Everyone is obviously going to remember Kawhi in that uh, Game 7. But I want to give a huge shout-out to someone who actually kept us in that ball game and, and made clutch shots, who has really, uh, you know, he, he's, he's had a rough go of it. He's coming off the bench now. Uh, but we are not sitting here talking about Milwaukee-Toronto if Serge Ibaka does oh. not have maybe the best game of, the, of his season. My man. Just coming out from absolute nowhere. You just, with this guy, like ever since he's been on Toronto, for sure, you just never know when he's going to come out and give you a ball game. And it's it's kind of frustrating because you know he can do it, but, you know, when it, it almost makes when he does do it so much more sweet. And, like, I think when he knocked down that first three-pointer, man, he was so hesitant to take that. And then after he saw it fall... Just the, you just see the confidence kind of absorb into him. Like he just becomes a totally different guy. And it was unbelievable with the fact that I feel like in the series, from the time he got elbowed and cut open by uh, it was Kawhi. It was, right? it was Kawhi. Yeah. Yeah. Just like only an absolute legend like Serge Ibaka comes back from that. And plays his best basketball. Like you just got to get the guy seeing red, and then he just goes off. Like only absolute legends. That's what happens. Uh, so he actually got hit in the almost the same area twice. So the first was Kawhi Leonard that actually cut him open, yep. and then Ben Simmons hit him later in that game in the face. I uh, took took a took a ball. Uh, tried basically ripped a ball through on his way. Oh up. man, what a <laughs> what a sequence! And then he comes back. Yeah. It drains the triple in his face. Yes, amazing. Amazing. Um, so, yeah, so Serge Ibaka finishes game seven, 17 points, eight rebounds, three assists, shoots six of 10 from the field, but more importantly, three of five from three, which is huge from a guy like yeah. that. So, we're not talking about the, the Bucks versus the Raptors without Serge Ibaka because we started to, to fade other than Kawhi down the stretch. Yeah. Uh, no one else besides those two had more than 11 points in a, in a seven-man rotation, which is crazy. Uh, and, you know, shout out Serge. I want to know what he what he made himself before the game, what he was chowing down on before game seven. Because we got we to gotta fuel ourselves. Oh, with, chef? <laughs> we got to fuel ourselves with that before we get on these uh, on these podcasts. But, yeah, great game from Serge. Want to give you a shout out. 
uh, yeah, unbelievable series was was incredible to watch. Uh, shout out the uh, the Seventy Sixers. I mean, a lot of uh, a lot of pains in our ass in that series. A lot of guys that I was, you know, saying some things that I'm not going to say on the podcast uh, <laughs> about some of these uh, some of the uh, the guys. But it's because they're uh, they're pretty good basketball players. Like Jimmy Butler, solid series. Got shut down by Kawhi in uh, in Game Seven, but overall played uh, played pretty well. Uh, Joel, you know, you love to see the passion that Joel showed after, uh, really, uh, it, it, it hurt him. It hurt him to lose. And, and that's the kind of people we need in the mm-hmm. NBA that make the game better, that are all about winning. Uh, it was awesome to see he and Siakam go up against each other, fellow countrymen. Yeah. Uh, great for the, uh, the sport in, in Africa. So really, uh, it, it was an awesome series. One that I'm not going to forget for a very, very long time. hundred percent. Let's talk about the West. Um, you and I just finished watching game two of Warriors versus Blazers. Uh, the Warriors take it down by three points. I can't remember what the exact score was. Very, very tight game. Uh, Blazers led early and then basically the whole second half, uh, Golden State went on a huge run and then got it really tight late. So most of the fourth quarter as well as sort of the end of the third were very, very tightly contested. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's one of those series where I, I said that, uh, you know, I expected Golden State to, uh, you know, take two at home and then maybe grab grab a split in, in Portland because that can be a tough place to go win. And then, you know, obviously finish the series off in five at home. Yeah, I did say to you, and I know you disagreed with it, uh, that I, I actually thought that the Blazers, if they were able to grab one in uh, Golden State, I thought all bets were going to be off. This was their chance, and they just couldn't do it. No, and and we were just talking about this as the game ended. Kind of similar to a bit of a Tiger Woods factor over these past, I'd say at least like two or three seasons since since KD's come on. Anyway, um, I just feel like you know when. Teams seem seemingly have an opportunity against the Warriors. They kind of shy away, or I mean, you could say in an extreme sense, choke it away. But it's like all credit to Portland for getting to this series. I don't think anyone really. I mean, I guess you could say some people expected them to get here, but you know, it took a hell of an effort to get through uh, uh, Denver there. So. I just feel like, especially like with the Rockets examples, they've kind of choked away their opportunities the past couple of years. Portland, like they, they just, I, I, I couldn't see them with like kind of this, this, I guess, like, I don't know, Tiger Woods factor going on with the Warriors. I just couldn't see Portland getting past that at all, even with KD out it kind of brings the Warriors back to a point where they're playing basketball like they should, like they did in the old times before the uh, snake slithered into the garden, you could say, um, <laughs> back when everybody enjoyed actually watching yeah. the Warriors. Not, not that you're throwing shade or anything. No, 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 of course not. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, like, I just see uh, no road back for the Blazers at this point. I know they're going home. Tough place to play, I guess you could say. Portland, Portland, and Denver, I think, you know, would both be tough places to play for the Warriors. But 
I don't I don't see I don't see a road back for Portland. Not I'd say a max a maximum five games at this point. I, I think I think I agree with you. I think they're in super tough to uh, to win both at home. I, I I just don't see it. Dame might be able to steal a game in Portland when he gets all jacked up from the crowd. Uh, but going back to Golden State, I, I don't see it going back to to Oregon after that. Uh, one thing to note: you sort of talked about KD and uh, uh, KD obviously out. Uh, I think you said something that he's not going to play in game three yeah, or out, four. Yeah, out three and four. I think that's a that's a that's a great move from the Warriors because they're they're honestly balling pretty well. They're getting back to their old ways here. All the ball movement that everybody loved when they kind of just started their dynasty. It's it's really you know they're kind of forcing it. It kind of forces their hand to actually go back and play a less ISO heavy style with uh, that they do with KD and back to more of the ball movement that everybody loves to see. And they're, they're equally as tough. I feel like it, it really brings back um, the, the debate that, you know, I don't know how much like it's, it's amazing to say, but what does, what does Katie really add to the team? I feel like they could still be winning these championships without him. It's uh it's an interesting thought to have. I mean, I'm, I'm, I know you don't like him. I actually really like watching Kevin Durant play. Uh, I mean, I, he's, he's he's a wizard of the uh, the game of basketball. Oh no doubt, but in terms of winning, in terms of winning these championships, I feel like they're doing it either way. Yeah. So I mean, one of the things that I that I was gonna say is you look at tonight again, great ball movement, and and they played really well. Uh, when you consider the fact that they only got a combined four points from uh, two starters and Iguodala and Bogut mm-hmm. and still had five guys in double digits. So the bench is getting involved. There's some great ball movement. Uh, yeah. So it was, it was Green, Curry, Thompson, and then you add Looney and Bell all in double digit scoring. Uh, just, you know, if you're Golden State, that, that's what you like to see. And that, that's the brand of basketball that everyone fell in love with Golden State around. Uh, so, you know, it, yeah, I, I think they're uh, uh, definitely looking dangerous with or without Kevin Durant. I still do think that anytime you can add a player like Kevin Durant, uh, you know, it, it, it's going to be good things for uh, for your team. Uh, but yes, the question is uh, is definitely valid as to whether or not, uh, you know, they're, they're still going to win championships without KD. Um, and... We might even get that answer depending on how long Kevin Durant is out for these uh, these playoffs. So uh, again, that, that that's something for maybe a little little further down the uh, the road. I did want to touch on on this game that we just watched because uh, I I know you you weren't around for the full thing, but you saw a fair bit of the uh, uh, the fourth quarter there. Um, having watched a, a lot of it, 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 it was really interesting to see. Um, what what Portland was was able to do in the first half. So so Portland actually had a uh, 65-50 lead going into halftime. Basically shot on on like incredibly well in the, in the first half. And and it was it was interesting to see what Golden State was doing because essentially it would be Dame or CJ uh, up top. Uh, they'd set a high screen pretty much every time. Like that that's basically what what Portland tried to do. And then Golden State would uh, trap on the on the ball handler and it was incredible to see like dame get out of it or dame pull up from three he, he didn't he didn't actually score um until late in the second quarter i think uh but he, he was passing incredibly and it was incredible to see like how 
they were getting getting out of it and they had this 15 point lead at half but it just never felt sustainable against Golden State and I think that's a big mm-hmm. issue that a lot of teams are going to run into and there, there's no real way to to beat them yeah. unless you're playing at a a higher level than you are your expected value is for yes. four quarters yeah and it sort of came back to earth uh, in the second half, they basically yeah. tried running the same thing because, I mean, like, it worked. Why Why wouldn't you? Uh, but they weren't getting the good passes. They weren't able to make the, the deep shots. They didn't get good looks. It was sort of similar to the first half, except kind of like the Raptors, they just missed the shots instead of made them like the Raptors did yesterday, making them early on and then missing them late. So it was sort of interesting to see, uh, see that. Um, and, yeah. and it sort of emphasized to me that for anyone to beat Golden State, even in one game, mm-hmm. you need to play 48 minutes. Oh, absolutely. I think um, just just watching the, the game kind of finish up in the fourth quarter there, and Portland, they, they were holding the lead for, for most of that most of that quarter until the last, I don't know, two minutes, would you say? Yeah. It just it's, – it's gone on for so long now that I feel the Warriors, they're in everyone's head – that regardless of the situation, no one ever feels completely comfortable. Everybody knows that eventually they're going to make their run and no one is able to seemingly stop it. And whether that's not being able to execute on defense or not being able to execute on offense, as the Blazers kind of struggled with in the second half, nobody is able to kind of with these thoughts always in the back of your mind or even right in the forefront, nobody's able to really uh, perform to the max of your potential, like maximizing out the value of, of your game for 48 minutes with that kind of mental block in your head. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll see if, if, I don't think Portland can uh, can do it. I think I think tonight was their chance, as we saw, and, and again the mental block they just weren't able to uh, to get over it. So yeah, so I, I've got I've got Golden State in five in that uh, in that series. Uh, I'm not quite ready to predict the Raptors series yet. I think I feel like I need to see another game, which I know feels like cheating a little bit, uh, but I, I honestly think it could go either way. I do think that it'll be a deep series. Uh, I, I think I think it could be you know we could get into six or seven games in uh, in this series. Um, I think like if if it does, you know, definitely don't count the Raptors out. Like the Bucks haven't been pushed like that uh, at all. Certainly not this deep in the playoffs before with their kind of group of guys. So we'll see how they kind of respond to that sort of adver- adversity, but. How I currently see things, I don't think the Bucks had their best game last night. And currently, how things stand, I see them in five. Yeah, I hope uh, I hope you're wrong, but I, I, I hope I'm wrong too. But that's that's just what I'm seeing so, out there right now. So both at home, split in Toronto, back in Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I could see that going the same way as well. I, I'm just hoping that. You know, our defense continues to play relatively well and, and we're giving Milwaukee the shots that, that we want ultimately if they if they catch fire from three. Yeah, I mean, teams are going to beat them. The problem is 
you see how Milwaukee was able to make those adjustments. I mean, big props to Budenholzer and everything he's done this season, but how they were able to make those adjustments in the Celtics series after getting kind of humbled a little bit in that first game, able to come back and just kind of stomp on their throats, essentially. And the Celtics weren't able to respond back. I just hope that's not a similar situation for Toronto, but I could honestly see it being that way. Very, very true. Time will tell. Game uh, two goes tomorrow night. Uh, we're playing every other day, which is good for the basketball fan. Uh, would like a little more rest for Kawhi Leonard, but not so great for a veteran group, not, especially a veteran yes. group that was taxed heavily in that Philly series. Yeah, and that's uh, that's the that's the downside of playing probably the most memorable series that I that I will remember. Uh, want to get to a little golf now? So we had a we had a request from one mm-hmm. of my friends. Want to give a shout out to Quinn Zavitz on the pod. Great guy. Uh, wanted to hear our thoughts. Mac, you and I, uh, on Brooks Kepka. So for those of you who don't know, Brooks Kepka is one of the best golfers in the world. Uh, has, has come out recently with some, some very honest statements. He's a pretty honest guy. Um, and and uh, right now is the PGA Championship. They're playing in New York at the famous Bethpage Black golf course. Uh, very, very difficult course. Uh, Brooks Kepka went out. Uh, we're obviously recording this Thursday night. Uh, absolutely on fuego in round one. Just absolutely tore the course apart. Uh, course record, 63-7 under. He only has a one-shot lead, but uh, he and Danny Lee uh, are four and three strokes, respectively, up on Tommy Fleetwood at three under uh, after the, the first round. But Brooks made a lot of headlines before the championship actually started. He had a couple, a couple different quotes that we're going to say on air. And Kenzie, I want your thoughts because I know you're not a big Brooks guy. Uh, so the first one uh, was relating to uh, why he believes Brooks Kepka thinks it's easier to win major golf tournaments than the actual, than just like a regular golf tournament. So here, here, here's his exact quote. Uh, so he believes that, sorry, this is not an exact quote. This is, this, these were the numbers that he crunched live on, uh, live on air. The majors are the easiest to win. He says that with a 156-person field, which is what is at the PGA Championship this week, 80 guys, quote, I'm just going to beat, unquote. Mm -hmm. Half of the rest won't play well. Half of what's left will get rattled by the pressure. Leaves a few guys that I actually have to worry about come Sunday. So that's the first quote. I actually really like that quote, but we'll talk about it more. The second one was about the pace of play in golf. And he was he was shredding like slow golf. And I, I think, you know, we, you and I are golfers. We don't like slow golf. Uh, we, I don't think anybody really, like it, any golfer worth his salt doesn't like slow play. Like I think like a casual golfer who doesn't really play golf doesn't understand what slow play means. Because when you're the slow player, you don't feel like you're going slow. But everyone knows you're going slow. Yeah, yeah. So, it's painful. It's painful. It's so painful. this was Brooks's quote on uh, pace of play. And this is a direct quote. No one wants to spend five and a half hours out there. I would just make it 14 or 15 holes because then you get to go to the 19th hole a little bit quicker. It gets boring from like hole five to 12. 
It's like where I am right now. I literally can't tell you what happens during those holes. So I believe that was a direct quote from his uh, his interview on Pardon My Take with uh, Big Cat and PFT. Shout out Barstool. Love those guys. Um, so Kenzie, give me your thoughts on uh, on Brooks's comments. Let's start with the one about how it's easier to win majors. Well, what a fucking ultimate power move from the guy to yeah. go out and talk this shit, man. Like just putting the whole PGA Tour on blast. And then just going out and firing a course record, what, two days later? What, like, honestly, like, not a huge fan of the guy, but what a legend move that is. Yeah, it was, uh, it, it's pretty incredible to think about. So he goes out today in a featured group uh, with the big cat in Francesco Molinari and just absolutely shreds this golf course apart right after he said that. Uh, so, so I was thinking about it more, and, like, to be honest, I'm actually not sure that I disagree with him. Obviously, you know, a huge field this week. Yeah. Uh, but for professional golfers, yeah. winning a major is everything you work towards. Yes. It's like the Stanley Cup. It's like the World Series, like the Super Bowl, like the NBA Finals. Like, like that is what all these athletes, they work for. And any major championship, there's going to be, you know, significantly more pressure on you mm. than just a regular golf tournament. There are enough guys that have won PGA golf tournaments. But when majors only come around, mm -hmm. uh, they're four every single year, there, there's not the feeling uh, of, of winning one of these prestigious golf tournaments and having that pressure. Right. And not a lot of guys have experienced it. And when you have a guy like Brooks, yeah. who has now won three of them, yeah. uh, and, and on his way to a fourth this week, it looks like, I mean, there's still three more rounds to come. Uh, who doesn't feel any pressure at all. Like the guy just plays like he's, he's in the zone. Like he, he I don't he, buy that. He doesn't feel any pressure. Uh, sorry. I, I'm everyone, sure he feels, everyone pressure, feels pressure, but, but, but he does not let it affect his game pretty much from, from what I've seen. As we, yes, yes. I think, I think that assumption can be made based on results. Yes. So a guy, someone who has won a PGA tour event might uh, know how to handle the pressure of winning, you know, the Wells Fargo or the, the Northern trust. Sure. 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 Uh, hilarious, hilarious tweet. I saw this is sort of a side note said that, uh, the only thing the field needs to do is convince Brooks that this is the Northern trust open. But anyways, side, side note. Um, and, and so once you sort of taste that blood, I think it's easier to win a regular PGA tour event, but because there are actually so few major winners on tour and having the pressure and having so many more eyeballs on you, and having the the pressure of the prestige come with it, yes. I think it's a lot. I think it's actually really difficult to win a uh, to win a, a major golf tournament. So I think the so, field size this week is absolutely ginormous. Yes. So that makes it more difficult to win. But I, I think the pressure comments that yeah. he made is actually legitimate. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And like you see this in any sport, and this is what this is what separates the superstars from the stars, or just any average guy in any professional sport. It's all the, the mentality, the, the killer mentality, right? Like, let's just, like, look at the field and see, like, how many, like, true superstars are really in this 156-man field. What, five to ten, maybe? So we got, we got John Daly out there. John Daly's riding a golf cart out there. And he's playing in the PGA Championship. So there are guys that uh, obviously, you know, are not right. legitimate 
contenders from the start. So so let's let's just like look at that that mentality thing for a sec. So 156 man field. Like given the fact that you know there's all this pressure and you know only these guys with the killer mentality I feel there are some exceptions to the rule but um these are the only guys that can you know really stand up to this pressure and even like thrive in it. And you see this in every sport. You know, you can pick out examples of of this in in any sport you choose. But let's let's look at a 156 man field. How many guys out of that 156 field do you think will actually play as well this week at Bethpage in the PGA Championship as compared to if this uh, tournament was at Bethpage and it was not a major, how many do you think? Like what? 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 What number would you pin on that? So, so are, are you more saying? Uh, so it, it, instead of just playing Bethpage four times mm-hmm. under the same conditions, you're adding the fact that it's a major. Is that is that, is that what you're sort of trying to get at? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I I, I think a fair amount, fair amount are, are again, it's a, it's that mental pressure that that you put on yourself from the extra eyeballs, yeah, uh, on TV, actually, every there. every everything that goes with you know major championships or, or any. Any top tier sporting event like the World Cup, the playoffs in any sport. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's very true. So, so I, I actually kind of kind of buy it, and as well, you know, the uh, uh, a course like Bethpage Black, obviously significantly more difficult, especially the way that they've set it up, rather than your average PGA Tour uh, course as well. So, if you have so experience, they're, they're, and, so you, you, yes, I mean, definitely that argument could be made that you know some players physically have the skills to deal with a test like that better. I'm sure Brooks with the, with the absolute muscles on that man can uh, squeeze one out of the, out of the rough. uh, Unlike probably anyone else on the tour to, uh, to quote Phil Mickelson, he's probably just hitting absolute bombs off the tee. But uh, yeah, so I, I think that that's a uh, definitely a fair, uh, fair statement by Brooks. Definitely very interesting. Uh, the slow play one, like I, it's it's kind of funny to think about the fact that like a PGA Tour professional just like kind of admitted that he basically like shuts off mentally from like hole five to to twelve. I don't, I don't know about this one, man. <laughs> like this is half. Like if you're looking at a golf tournament, this is this is half the tournament essentially. So you're looking at. Two of your four rounds are going to be spent on just like mentally five checked out. Five yeah. to, that I, <laughs> you're, you're no maybe, mathematician, but uh, <laughs> maybe maybe going back to his thoughts about majors versus regular events, potentially given his skills and his track record at regular tour events, I could maybe see that being true at the normal tour events because. When you look at his when you look at his first quote <coughs> on the PGA Tour, he's won three majors. He's won one non-major. It's incredible. <laughs> like what a uh... and so so what what I'm saying here is that perhaps when it comes to these regular tour events, based on like the skills that you would think, you know, if this guy is dominating at majors the way he is. 
and only a guy with the skills like he has, like a generational type guy, you might say, can go out and say that, like talking about that major quote. But you would expect that, you know, maybe a guy like that, when comparing him to another generational guy like Tiger, would also just rake, like absolutely rake at these normal events as well. But based on the track record, he may be right again. Yeah, it's uh, it's true. And, and yeah, anyways, I thought they were very interesting. Uh, moral of the story, don't play slow golf. It's just annoying for everyone out there. Don't be that guy that's holding up pace of play because it does it, it affects everyone's game and it, and it sours the mood. So moral of the story, thank you, Brooks Kepka, for bringing it up. Don't play slow golf. From the PGA Tour all the way down to when you're, when you're smacking the ball around on a Sunday at your local course. Uh, yes, definitely an interesting uh, quote from Brooksy. I, uh, I know I know you're not a huge fan of him. I actually really like him, and I, I, I respect the honesty. If there was one guy on the tour who I legitimately think like would shut off for nine holes like a round, it would be Brooks Kepka. But, and, and part of it is like, he's just so athletic. Maybe he just like goes into, I mean, he obviously doesn't shut off mentally, but um, you know, he's just so calm, cool and collected. Maybe, maybe he just sort of goes into autopilot for a bit and just, just lets the athleticism take over. Cause it is, it is pretty beautiful to watch him swing golf club. I think I think a lot of and uh, any fan of the PGA Tour uh, can admit that. But we hear what you're saying, Brooksy. <laughs> Shout out Torts for that for that uh, always that great great tidbit. But Mac, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast this weekend. It's always a pleasure talking with you. Basketball, golf, and any sport you got us covered. So absolutely buddy. happy happy to have you on. Mac and I are actually living together this summer, so we're hoping to get some more uh, more podcasts in this summer. Uh, just a, a bit of a note to finish off with, uh, the hot takes network. We have a very, very big announcement coming next week. Uh, we're hoping to get it on the, uh, the podcast. We're going to have a, uh, special guest on next week's podcast to deliver the, uh, special news about the future of, uh, hot takes network and, and where we're hoping to go. Uh, so make sure you t- tune into next week's episode of hot takes only. Uh, thank you very much for joining this week with Mac and I, it's been a pleasure. Hopefully you enjoy all the basketball and golf talk and we will see you next week for our big announcement.